Hello and welcome to this interview in the ENT Expert Opinion Series. My name's Niall Jefferson. Today with Associate Professor David Conley, who is an Associate Professor of Otolaryngology Head and Neck Surgery at Northwestern University in Illinois, United States. We're going to be discussing uh, the use of CT scanning in chronic rhinosinusitis. Thanks for joining me. Oh, thank you very much for having me here. Let's begin with just briefly uh, and in general terms, what is chronic rhinosinusitis and how common is it? Chronic sinusitis is defined as a persistent inflammatory state of the perinasal sinuses, the mucosa, and the bone. But that's not a working diagnosis. So we use a clinical diagnosis that incorporates symptoms and should be supported by some objective findings, such as a CT scan and endoscopy. The symptoms cross over a lot with other disease states. They are therefore not very specific to sinusitis. However, that's what we usually have to work with when we see patients. Strictly speaking, you should have a few of these symptoms, and they should last for anywhere from 10 to 12 weeks persistently uh, without uh, remitting during that time. In that case, we'll diagnose chronic sinusitis. The real question of what it is 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 a huge question because it's probably a multifactorial collection of different uh, disorders and diseases uh, with very different flavors in individual patients. But uh, in general, these clinical guidelines uh, are pretty good, but not perfect. Jumping straight to the role of CT scan. In your practice, when do you first order a CT scan for a patient who you've decided has CRS? Your key point is, has decided has cured CRS. And I think it's, it's, it's very difficult to make that decision before obtaining objective findings. Now, if a patient has an endoscopy showing purulent drainage or polyps, then I think you've made your diagnosis uh, if that correlates with the symptoms that persist. But in patients who have all the right symptoms uh, in the long duration, you need something else to make that to make that diagnosis. So, when I order that scan, is is actually very is variable um, and and individually tailored to the patient. And before you pin down certain guidelines or practice parameters, I think it's important to remember that patients are, are very unique and individual and have to be approached that way. One of the most challenging things in my practice is deciding when to order the scan. Uh, many factors, I think, can influence the, the appearance of that scan, the most common one being uh, viral upper respiratory tract infections or even post-viral chronic rhinosinusitis. And we all know that for a, a good number of months, uh, certainly weeks if not months, the CAT scans can be positive uh, or significantly altered from normal after those acute exacerbations. So I think that's very important. And I always ask my patients, if they come in with the scan, when was this done? Was it done in proximity or even during an exacerbation? And those scans, I think, are very difficult to interpret. Um, ideally, the scan would be done after the patient was in, had resolved uh, an acute exacerbation, had undergone some level of initial therapy, but not so much therapy that uh, it's being done redundantly or repeatedly or many courses of antibiotics or steroids. So I'll order it much earlier if I can, uh, not only to make the diagnosis if it's positive, 
but also to rule out the diagnosis in a number of patients who, through various um, cultural neural norms, believe that they have sinusitis and, and, and obviously don't. And this is very helpful then in limiting their exposure to repeated courses of uh, antibiotics, perhaps even steroids or medical interventions that aren't directed towards the underlying problems such as facial pain or headache or allergies. When you order the scan, is it a simple matter of just asking for a scan of the sinuses? And what planes do you want them in, in order to get all the information that you need? So it depends a little bit on what I'm looking for. Let's talk first about just your garden variety inflammatory chronic sinusitis, not tumors or unilateral polyps or unusual drainages. So in, in the average person, I really need um, bone windows. I need all three planes, so I want to see the axial, the coronal, and the parasagittal planes. And um, it's a CT scan without contrast. It's a simple scan. We have a couple of options in our practice of ordering one with a low-dose flat panel, panel uh, scanning device or one through radiology. Sometimes the decision uh, of which one to order depends on patient factors, such as uh, can they hold still? Are they particularly kyphotic? Can they extend their neck and, 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 and be still enough for a flat panel device, which has to... Uh, occur over 20 to 40 seconds where the patient's immobile. Um, in that case, we'll go to the radiology department, and that incurs another visit and a scheduled procedure and return back afterwards. But um, generally, uh, the flat panel device is good for upwards of 90-some percent of my initial uh, diagnosis in patients with run-of-the-mill uh, chronic inflammatory sinusitis. So you've got your scan. Do you have a system that you use when assessing a scan sequentially to go through it? I am very careful to not be drawn to just the points of pathology, but to scroll through every one of those planes. And the, um, the imaging reader that we use allows me to scroll through the coronal planes, which I typically do first, and then the axial planes. Uh, especially to look at things like the ethmoids. And then finally, uh, don't forget to look through the parasagittal planes, not only for the ethmoids, again, but the skull base and the frontal sinus. Um, as I go through those, I'm looking for all of the areas, not only to identify disease like uh, or, or areas of mucosal obstruction, air fluid levels, uh, but also to look at the bony anatomy around the orbit and the skull base. And finally, we look very closely at the teeth. And I like to include the uh, maxillary teeth in the scans so that I can look for problems like periapical abscesses or extensions of odontogenic processes into the maxillary sinuses. Now I think that unless you do that very early in your workup with the patient, you can go sometimes for months if not years before you go back and find out that the reason that ventilation hasn't resulted in a resolution is, is a dental process. And the um, the flat panel devices are very nice for that because of the coordination between those three planes to be able to look at the dental roots and their relationship and any pathology around the near periods of sciences, the maxillary sciences. What then is, what is a low-dose scan and when is it ideal and when do you need more than that? So it's a funny name because I think probably any scanner can be operated in a low-dose fashion. 
But in general, the flat panel devices, which are volumetric cone beam scanning devices, uh, involve a, a emitter and a panel that rotates around the patient's head 360 degrees. And just by nature of how that radiation source is collected on the flat panel rather than the crystals that are used in a, a conventional CAT scanner, there's not much sense in boosting the radiation dose to a level where you would see soft tissue densities, uh, differentiation within soft tissue, dens soft tissue densities, um, because they won't come through yet. The, the current technology doesn't allow for precise differentiation between, for example, if you look in the orbit, the the, the orbit, the globe, the, the muscle, the bone, the fat. I mean, you see the bone and the rest of the soft tissue, but not a real clear definition within soft tissue densities. So the flat panel devices um, currently, you know, run a, a much lower absorbed amount of radiation, and you get excellent uh, bone definition, you get excellent resolution at the level of the bone, um, you can see clearly the difference between um, air and either mucus or soft tissue. And, and that's really what we need 90% of the time in inflammatory disease. There is some discussion, though, of running conventional scanners in a lower amperage, which would result in lower absorbed doses, but would probably compromise some of the soft tissue differentiation that those scanners will provide us. And that soft tissue density uh, clearly starts to play a role more when you're looking at uh, soft tissues, um, tumors. Um, but even in that case, I think contrast uh, becomes important. So let's talk about contrast. What, what is the value of contrast with a CT scan? Well, I think that in our practice, that's been largely superseded by the excellent soft tissue contrast from an MRI with gadolinium. And this is what we would use to delineate the extent of the tumor, certainly in the intracranial extension. But there is a role for CT scan with contrast in patients who have metal prostheses, pacemakers, or other, or other uh, metal implants which would preclude the use of an MR scan. We've talked about what a CT scan can tell you. What can't a CT scan tell you? This is a very interesting question for me because many people have dedicated their careers to correlating those symptoms that we discussed earlier that are the clinical complaints patients have about their sinus problems, the effect on their quality of life, and what shows up on the CT scan. And it, it's, it's fairly clear that there's a that there's not a direct correlation between the severity of those symptoms in terms of how they affect the patient's quality of life and how severe the scan is. And so we have situations where scans show fairly mild mucosal changes, but they're not normal. Their lung mechai is above four, but symptoms are quite severe and vice versa. People who have extensive mucosal pathology or changes, thickening, uh, edema, um, and, and fairly mild uh, symptoms. So I think the scans, while they are your best objective measure of what, if anything, is wrong with the patient's nose, paranasal sinuses, short of endoscopy identifying purulence, edema, polyps, the, the scan doesn't tell you how bad the patient feels or how much this affects you. And once again, back to, to my earlier point, the scan doesn't tell you the, the context of time. 
And so it's always important to think, is this scan being done at a time of exacerbation or baseline? It doesn't tell you, except for the fact that air fluid levels are typically, typically associated with a, an acute infection or inflammatory state. Having considered CT, its role, its advantages and disadvantages, and we've touched on this a little bit, but when is a CT not enough? When do you, when do you go for the MRI scan? So there are a number of very basic rules, and I might miss a few of them here, but uh, certainly when there are unilateral uh, findings on exam, uh, a polyp or a polyp-like mass that's unilateral, I think that the um, CT is important initially to determine the extent of any uh, mucosal pathology, but whenever that's associated with bony erosion and you're worried about tumor or uh, a cancer, or even a benign tumor, it's, it's very helpful to have an MRI, which does a couple things. It will find uh, the extension of disease, it will define the soft tissue component, uh, it will define the areas where the tumor is present and where the, the secretions are obstructed behind it. And oftentimes that can be very useful in planning, just in many cases, but for one example, if an inverted papilloma occupies the frontal recess, and the entire frontal sinus is opacified. With a scan without contrast, it's impossible often to tell if that frontal sinus is involved at all or how much or whether those are secretions. And MRIs can do that very well. So even in benign neoplasia, it's helpful. Uh, certainly any kind of malignant neoplasia, looking for adjacent lesions, skip lesions, um, lymph nodes, but just defining the soft tissue extent and any intracranial extent is very important. Thanks very much. Um, one thing I like to, to end the interviews with is called the final word. The final word is an opportunity for you to either touch upon something that we've talked about and highlight its importance, or if there's something that we haven't discussed in the course of the interview that you think is an important component of the discussion in relation to CT scanning and, and, and chronic rhinosinusitis. So I'll hand it over to you for the final word. I think for me, uh, seeing patients over the years has been a very interesting journey where I'm always trying to understand how I can best get inside their head and understand what bothers them and how it bothers them. And it's very challenging being a, a, visually, um, a visually inclined surgeon not to be overtaken by uh, the, the objective findings uh, from endoscopy or, in this case, CT scans. And, and it's, um, it's been very interesting to, to correlate um, not only what the scan will tell us, but more so what the scan might add to our understanding of how well our interventions will really help the patient. Because Certainly, if there's a, a large amount of inflammatory obstructive disease, you, you can correct that surgically, whether it remains healthy or not is another question. But you really have to understand how much you've helped the patient. And if we could predict that, it would be very nice. But currently, our understanding of chronic sinusitis doesn't always allow us to predict exactly how well our interventions will play out. Thanks very much for joining me. This has been another ENT Expert Opinion podcast. You can find more podcasts at uh, ENT Expert Opinion on iTunes. Uh, also find us at the website entexpertopinion.com and uh, we can also be found on Facebook and Twitter.
Thanks very much. Thank you very much for having me. 